When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you are determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than any human authority. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as a leader and savior, that he might give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. When they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up and ordered the men to be put outside for a short time. Then he said to them, fellow Israelites, Consider carefully what you propose to do to these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and disappeared. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up at that time of the census and got people to follow him. He also perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. Because if this plan or this undertaking is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. In that case, you may even be found fighting against God. They were convinced by him, and when they had called in the apostles, they had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. As they left the council, they rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. And every day in the temple and at home, they did not cease to teach and proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thank you, Connor. And again, I echo, thank you, choir, for beautiful, beautiful music. And I also want to say a special word of thanks to Joe Moore, who at 8.30 this morning played a beautiful rendition of Amazing Grace. It was, uh, it was awesome. Um, well, friends, Adair and I have had back-to-back-to-back-to-back weekends of family and friends join us. And this weekend, my best friend since sixth grade, John and his wife Elizabeth, join us, uh, and they helped us do a few things around the house. John We've been friends since sixth grade through high school and college, and I don't know why I'm telling you this. Everything he tells you after worship is untrue. Uh, John's a liar. <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, but we, we spent Friday, Saturday, we went to either Lowe's or Home Depot at least 10 times. And I just want you to know what my weekend's been. A lot of you have told me when you showed me the front of the bulletin, they said, I, I, I need patience today. And I said, I'm preaching to myself. <laughs> I've been at Lowe's too many times to count. Uh, But I came to church this morning, I just want to let you know, I came to church this morning because I needed to hear something about patience. (laughs) Friends, we begin, as Connor said, in the middle of a series on the book of Acts. Remember, Acts is a story by Luke, it's his sequel, of a group of people trying to figure out what life looks like without their teacher, without their leader. It's a story of both individuals and congregations being guided by the Spirit, not necessarily knowing where they might go next, but simply trusting that God is going to get them there. And last week, we talked about one moment when Peter and John were curious enough to pay attention 
to this man begging for change at the temple gates. He was lame, and when they made eye contact, they offered him healing. And seconds later, he was jumping around, praising God. What we didn't talk about last week was what happens after. This miracle, this healing, causes a great amount of attention to come upon Peter. And Peter doesn't miss a chance. In fact, I'd argue whenever any preacher has an audience, he's going to start talking. Uh, It's a little bit dangerous to grant him an audience. So Peter begins proclaiming salvation and resurrection in Jesus, which the Sadducees and priests don't appreciate, mainly the part about the resurrection. Remember, the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection. That's why they're so sad, you see. (laughs) That was bad. So they arrest the apostles. The council questions them, but honestly, I don't think they know what they're doing. They have to acknowledge that, yes, there's this great miracle of God that just happened, but they also don't want this resurrection stuff to to spread. They're trying to figure out how to spin it, proof that humans have always been politicians. And they tell Peter and John, we'll let you go. Just kind of try to keep it down. (laughs) Keep this nonsense to yourself. And over the next few passages, we see these Jesus-following Jews really begin to organize. The apostles don't stop. They keep teaching and healing. And the high priest arrests them again, puts them in prison, and then an angel lets them out. And they go back to the temple, and they just keep going, teaching and preaching. And that's where we begin today. The officers find them again, and they bring the apostles in front of the whole Sanhedrin, the whole council. Now the whole, the complete council included Sadducees and Pharisees. Sadducees who were more aristocratic, they were the priestly group, and the Pharisees were lay people committed to following the details of the law. And this group was kind of the Hebrew authority in a way. They had limited jurisdiction under Roman rule, of course. So the whole group gathers together. They look at the apostles and essentially say, we told you not to do this. And you're doing this. (laughs) And Peter, what does he say? He says, we obey God, not men. (laughs) Jesus is the one who brings repentance and forgiveness. Jesus was resurrected. We're witnesses, and not only us, but the very spirit of God. (laughs) And, And this religious council is furious. After all, Peter's implication is what? If Peter says, we obey God, not men, what is he saying? Well, Will Willeman puts it this way. How does it sound in the ears of these religious officials to be reminded by this commoner that they are supposed to be obeying God also rather than collaborating to keep a lid on the status quo in Jerusalem? The council's not happy with Peter's response and they're ready to go to the mattresses. They're ready to end this conflict in a quick, a decisive, and maybe even violent way. Remember, death by stoning is not uncommon. They want these guys gone. And in the midst of their anger, a Pharisee on the council named Gamaliel stands up and he starts talking. Now Gamaliel was a leader of the Pharisees. He was one of the chiefs in the Sanhedrin. Gamaliel was also very revered. Most teachers were called rabbi, but Gamaliel was given the honored title of rabban. And from 20 to 50, about that time, Gamaliel is likely the most revered figure and greatest authority in Judaism. And Gamaliel is also pragmatic. He's the head of the Hillel school, which was the more lenient, probably more popular form of Judaism at the time. He tried to apply the law to daily life, and he had a heart for easing the burden 
on women and the poor. His guiding principles were these things. They were centered around the promotion of the common good and promoting the ways of peace. He was respected by everybody. And he was also Paul's main teacher, by the way. Paul says at one point that he was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Well, we'll get to that in the coming weeks. Gamaliel is someone everyone listens to, and he stands in front of this gathering. He asks the apostles to exit for a minute. I used to have a person I worked with who would say, Andrew, can you leave for a minute so we can talk about you behind your back? And that's what happens here. Gamaliel gets the apostles out of there, and he stands up to address this angry meeting, which is not an easy thing to do. And Gamaliel stands up and says, everyone in this room needs to be careful. Men of Israel, take care what you're about to do to these men. The Greek word there, it means take heed or beware. And then Gamaliel does what every good teacher does. He tells a few real-life examples. He reminds them of some many revolutions that have cropped up in recent years. Do you remember Theodos, the pretender? He gathered followers, didn't lead to anything. You remember Judas of Galilee? His movement ended just like that. No one follows these guys anymore. So, Gamaliel says, I'm telling you to be patient. Let them go. And just like these two examples I gave, if this thing they're doing is their own design, it will fail. But if it is of God, you can't do anything about it anyway. And do you really want to be found fighting against God? It's enough to silence the room. Gamaliel speaks caution. And for Peter and John, this is great. But from the standpoint of the opposition, from the council, I feel like this appears pretty weak. (laughs) Camel Morgan says that the strong attitude is never that of allowing anything to drift in order to see the result. But they allow it. They give the apostles a few lashes and let them go. The leadership who doesn't trust these men essentially hand them over to God. If it is of God. I found myself saying that this week. If it is of God. It's infiltrated its way into my thinking. When Adair said, isn't it time to mow the lawn? I said, if it's of God. (laughs) But I do wonder how Gamaliel was able to come up with such a decision. I do think Gamaliel's pretty smart. He's a pretty wise person. I'm sure he has vast experience. I bet he knows the back and forth of the Hebrew scripture. I'm pretty sure he knows Proverbs 21. Nothing clever, nothing conceited, nothing contrived can get the better of God. I'm pretty sure in all his wisdom, he remembers the words of the prophet Nahum. Why waste time conniving against God? God is putting an end to all such scheming. I bet... I bet he knows the histories. I bet he knows Chronicles when it says, don't fight against God, you won't win the battle. (laughs) And Gamaliel has all this, this scriptural wisdom, and from that he looks at his fellow council members and he says, be patient, be careful, and if it is of man, it will fail. But if it's of God. I've wondered this week, if Gamaliel is speaking from relevant experience. I've been wondering if he was there that night, not long ago when a council convicted an itinerant rabbi in a sham trial. I wonder if he's really trying to say, hold on, 
The man these disciples are talking about, I was there. I think we might have overreacted. And it actually turns out that our use of force and urgency to do what we thought was right, turns out it didn't do what we thought it would. It turns out it didn't stop the movement. In fact, it feels like it shot it out of a cannon. We threw a match onto some gasoline. We tried one way. Maybe we need to try another. Let them go and let God handle it. If it's of man, then we've got nothing to worry about. But if it is of God, good luck. Gamaliel's answer reminds me a lot of the prophet Jeremiah. In the midst of the exile... When so many of the Hebrew people have been abducted and taken away from their homes, they're living outside of their home, actively losing hope, but constantly making plans for when the exile ends, thinking they're, they're going to go home soon, any day now. God says to these people, listen to what God says, listen, go ahead and build houses and live in them. Go ahead, plant gardens and eat the produce, get married Have babies, multiply here in the midst of this wilderness moment. Seek the good of the city you're in and pray for your exilers. Don't listen to anybody telling you that change is coming just over the horizon. Don't listen to the people telling you that the exile will end soon. It won't. This is going to last a while. And it's going to require you to be patient and live your lives now. As if your current situation is never going to change. And I'll bring you back when the time comes. For I know the plans I have for you, plans for your welfare, not for evil, plans to give you a hope and a future. So build your houses. Grow your food. Get married. Have babies. Live your lives. Don't be impatient. Be present. Friends, it's been my experience that the most biblical thing, one of the most biblical things I'll say in all of Scripture, a common thread through every single book of the Bible is the theme of patience. And waiting. God works in different kind of ways and according to a very different timetable. Gamaliel knows this. Gamaliel knows Jeremiah. And I think Gamaliel knows what a false sense of urgency can do. I think Gamaliel knows that when humans rush to judgment too fast, when humans believe that God needs defending, when humans believe that they know exactly what God is doing and how God is doing it, things can get a little messy. And it's in this humility that Gamaliel says to the council, we've made some mistakes before. Sometimes we've acted too quickly, so let me say this. The way of Scripture tells us that God acts on God's own timeline. If this is not of God, it will end. But if it is of God, there's nothing we can do. And we for sure don't want to stand in the way of God. Tolstoy says this, that the two most powerful warriors are patience and time. Arnold Glasso says it like this, the key to everything is patience. You get the chicken by hatching the egg, not by smashing it. And that seems to capture the spirit of what this leader of a council in Jerusalem is trying to do. I really do appreciate Gamaliel's attitude in this conflict, the simple patience of waiting and watching but I do wonder if it is a little passive. After all, it's not completely what God tells the people in Jeremiah. They know they're going to be waiting, but God says, wait and live. Not wait and see, wait and live. Wait and put down roots. Wait and act. It's not simple patience or passive patience. It's an active kind 
of patience. And I, te- I tend to think that we, Christians, that's who we are. We believe in the ultimate redemption of the world and humanity. Sure, we believe that God is going to bring a heaven and an earth, a new one. But Jesus also tasked us with finding ways to help that kingdom break into this world now. We are saved by faith alone, yes, but what is faith without works? What does James call faith without works? Dead. Richard Foster says a divinely transformed heart by its very nature will produce right action. It simply cannot do otherwise. (laughs) And as Methodists, we understand in our theology, in Wesleyan theology, that this is something called sanctification. The moment when we are following Jesus, God starts shaping us, rather before that, but God is shaping us into stronger disciples every day. God is actively restoring us by grace, day after day, but it is not one-sided. God asks us to partner with God in the work of the world. God doesn't invite us to be passive, saved individuals who sit and wait on the clouds to take them up. God invites us to be accountable and responsible participants of grace I think John Wesley would like Gamaliel's speech. I really do. But I think Wesley would probably add a little bit to it. If it's of man, it'll fizzle. But if it's of God, it will flourish. So be patient. And we got work to do. We're people of active patience. Nothing passive about it. Martin Luther King Jr. was a man of active patience, and I love what he says at the very end of his letter from a Birmingham jail. Listen to this. If I have said anything in this letter that is an understatement of the truth and is indicative of an unreasonable impatience, please forgive me. If I have said anything in this letter that is an overstatement of the truth and is indicative of my having a patience that makes me patient with anything less than justice, And brotherhood, I beg God to forgive me. (laughs) That's active patience. I got one example, and then I'll be finished. On Thursday, I came up to the office and happened to look into the choir room where Deborah Camp was helping to organize some music. I'm so thankful for her and for so many others in the choir, for Bonnie and Don, for such wonderful music every week. I'm thankful for the music, but I also know that the community is so important. I'm thankful for the community that forms in the singing and the leading of worship. And so Deborah and I talked for a little bit about life and things going on in the church, and then we talked about work, about her job as a flight attendant. I asked what work was like in our current culture, post-COVID and with the current political divide, because I was curious. I've, I've read articles, I've, I've seen things that indicate to me maybe flying right now is a little bit more anxious than other times. And Deborah said that people right now just seem to be emotionally exhausted. That collectively, she said, we're all tired (laughs) of this and that and the other. And because of that, she said, people have lower capacity for just about anything. (laughs) They have less patience right now than ever before. And I looked at her, I told her, I bet that means you have to have a lot more patience. Maybe more, probably, than you think you ever had. And she said, yeah, I'm, I'm continuing to do my job. I'm continuing to believe that things will get better than they are, because they will. But I'm not one to simply wait and see. I've got to model it 
She said, I've learned that if I want patience, (laughs) I'm going to have to share it. And then she said this, I've got to share grace, especially with the folks who need it right now, and even when I'm a little low on it myself. Deborah sounds like someone to me who's being actively patient, waiting for God to do what God will do, but also knowing that she has a part to play. Friends, there is a holy kind of trust in that kind of patience. A trust in God and a trust in the Spirit's work in each of us. So, may you trust in God. May you trust that God is working something in your life and in the world. May you know that if it is of man, it will crumble. May you know that if it is of God, there's nothing we can do but join in. May you be patient, knowing that God works all things for the good and reconciliation of the world, and may you know that in that patience, you've got work to do. Let us pray. God of grace and patience, We're thankful for models of that kind of patience, that active patience in our lives. God, I pray that you would grant us trust. Grant that we may trust that you are working things behind the scenes. May we find rest in that simple trust. And may your patience with us be a model that we might show patience and grace to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.